if you're dealing with patients who you're really trying to help, but they're not always motivated to do the work necessary, it gets a little frustrating. Diz Runs Radio, episode 590, starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey guys, uh, real quick before we dive into today's episode, just want to uh, let you know if you haven't grabbed a copy of Be Ready on Race Day yet, it is still available. It's not going anywhere. Uh, you can get it on the website. You can get it from Amazon. Uh, and once again, you know, if, if you haven't heard or you, you forgot what the book is all about, it's basically a, a how-to guide to writing, writing your own training plan. So, you know, if, if you've had enough of kind of the one-size-fits-all type of, of thing that, uh, you know, doesn't really work for you. Um, but you know, working with, with myself or some other coach might not be quite in the budget right now. And you're looking for kind of that middle ground. What can I do to get a custom training plan at, uh, you know, something that fits in the budget a little bit more friendly, you know, maybe, maybe a little book would help solve that problem. And that's what be ready on race day is all about. Uh, you can, you can check it out, uh, at be ready on race day.com, or you can just search it on Amazon as well. Be ready on race day. Uh, all of the information is there. Any questions or concerns, let me know. Um, uh, but hopefully It'll help you uh, prepare for those those races that are coming up in your future, you know, and, and maybe even just take a, a, a one size fits all plan and then tweak it and adjust it and customize it to actually work for you, as opposed to trying to to work your life into that plan. Make the plan fit your life. It's a better way to train. It's a better way to to get results than trying to force yourself into some you know some schedule that may or may not be conducive to setting yourself up for success. And that's what it's all about. That's why custom plans, in my opinion, are the best route. Because they're setting, they're giving you the best chance to be successful, as opposed to trying to make you change to fit some generic framework. So anyway, I'll get off that soapbox before I get too far on it, because I could go on and on for days on that topic. Um, but be ready on race day.com is the website, uh, and like I said, search be ready on race day uh, on the Amazon, and you can one click it, get it on the Kindle, get it sent to you, paperback, whichever whichever method you prefer. Uh, but now. Enough of me talking. Let's go ahead and get on with today's episode of the show. Hey, guys. Uh, my guest today is someone that uh, maybe hasn't done as much running recently as, as some other folks that have been on the show for, for very good reasons, which we may or may not get into. We'll see how it goes. But that uh, doesn't mean that he isn't still pretty much active in the running scene just about every day. Uh, today's guest is a doctor with a kind of specialty in physical medicine and rehabilitation and, and a focus on sports medicine. Um, but what I like most about him is that uh, he's not only good at obviously fixing the problems, which is what, what we love to have doctors be able to do, but he also really believes in and, and practices what he preaches when it comes to the value of doing things the right way in order to try to prevent some of those injuries and problems from cropping up in the first place. Uh, if you've been listening to the show for very long, you know that uh, running injuries, treatment, options and most importantly the prevention uh of of said injuries are probably my favorite topics to deep dive on and uh that's probably what's going to end up happening today so i'm i'm looking forward to it going to have a lot of fun hopefully you'll learn a few things that'll help keep you uh healthy and uh on the roads and on the trails as well so uh without any further ado it is my pleasure to be able to welcome dr casey hill to the show today uh thanks for joining us casey really appreciate it and uh certainly looking forward to it today thanks for having me denny yeah, definitely. The, the, the pleasure is, is all mine. And guys, if you want to check out uh, what, what he's got going on, on on social media and and resources and articles and all kinds of stuff that he posts uh, on the Facebook, if you just search uh, Dr. Casey Hill, and if you just go facebook.com slash Dr. Casey Hill, D-R-K, Casey with a K, that, that might be the one trick trick point there, uh, <laughs> Dr. Uh, D-R-K-A-S-E-Y-H-I-L-L, Dr. Casey Hill on Facebook. And, and on the Instagrams, it's, it's at uh, the Sports Med Clinic. So sports medicine, but shorten it up to med. The Sports Med Clinic on Instagram. Um, and as always, we'll have everything linked up in the show notes, as we always do. Dizruns.com slash 590 for this episode. will get you to the show notes. Connect with, with Casey that way or, or whatever works for you. And we'll obviously have things linked up as well. Um, so without any further ado, uh, the, the intro question, it's always the same for everybody. And, and like we said in the intro, I mean, you haven't been running as much lately. you got young kids starting a business practice with, with, with your, your medicine stuff. you got a whole bunch of things going on. So running maybe hasn't been the, uh, the fr- forefront of your uh, priority right now. But uh, if you had to, to wager from a little bit of running that maybe you've done in the past or, or, or not, but we'll just throw it out there. And if it lands like a lead balloon, it lands like a lead balloon. We'll move along. <laughs> but uh, it's the intro question. So I have to ask it, what is your favorite distance to race and why? 
Yeah, so I've known that one was coming, and um, you know, my patients will tell you I can be uh, brutally honest at times. So I'm, I'm not much of a, a racer. Probably the last race I did was uh, several years ago. I did a 10K, and um, you know, the fun thing about this job, you can learn a lot by experience, and so I certainly do try to practice what I preach, and so I, pre- I prep for a trail 10K by doing a lot of slow, easy road running and uh, neglected my stability work because I was busy and moving and just trying to build up the running. And this trail, uh, it was going to be in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is a pretty flat place. You know, Louisiana is kind of like Florida, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was near this river or, you know, bayou down here, which is the only place you kind of find some hills. And uh, it, it really jumped out and got me. <laughs> it was much hillier, much tougher course than, than I imagined. And because Cajuns aren't good at the metric system, this uh, 10K turned out to be 7.2 miles. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's what we call a lawn yacht down here, a little bit, little bit extra. Mm-hmm. And about mile four, my good old friend left IT band showed up. Actually, both of them showed up oh. by the end of the race. So, um, And my goal going into that was, hey, just take it easy and, and get you know sub 60 for this uh, first 10K that um, I've done in a while. And uh, when I hit the 60-minute mark, I knew I wasn't really close to the finish line. And, and you get that, that sinking feeling in your gut and like, oh, my God, everything's going wrong. And, but just power through, and, and I made it. And once I crossed the finish line, everyone's finishing you know, their GPS watch, which I didn't have at the time. And they're like, hey, man, my watch says 7.2, <laughs> 7.3, 7.4. So they officially changed it to a 7.2, and I finished in, I think it was like 68 minutes. So uh, I'd have definitely been just under uh, – 60 for the 6.2 because i know i was fading <laughs> fast yeah. at the end there yeah um, so you would have hit your goal and now you have one of those prs that may that, that may hold yes. up forever because you're like when is the next time you're gonna run a 7.2 mile race <laughs> exactly that's gonna that's gonna stand for a while <laughs> so it's um you know it's been it's been kind of fits and starts and i was thinking about it you know actually i, I think like man, i don't want to paint too broad of a stroke but i know a lot of runners um maybe aren't always the greatest athletes. I was certainly not a very athletic kid. And then uh, I joined the track team in seventh grade. So I did track for uh, six years and slowly kind of moved from running to more of just being a thrower. I'm not, I'm not a super big guy, but I was a fairly big guy at my small little high school. And uh, by the time I finished, I was mostly throwing. Um, but I was also really into uh, backpacking. You know, I was in scouting and um, I've done backpacking since then. And just through the little bit of running to kind of stay in shape for other things and hiking, uh, I developed a lot of the same injuries um, that, that you'll see in runners, uh, with knees being part of it. And, and also, uh, I dabbled in cross-country for a few years. My high school was small enough you can kind of do multiple sports. So I played football, uh, which practice was in the afternoon, and then did cross-country for, I think, my sophomore and junior year before I decided this just isn't for me. But I could never get beyond shin splints. Mm. And... Uh, High school coach's advice was get softer shoes and stretch out your shins, <laughs> right. which, you know, is about the total 180-degree <laughs> advice of what I would of what I would kind of tell someone to do now. And, um, you know, and then later on, we did, I guess it wasn't quite a race, but it was many years later I realized I did a 50K, so I guess I can call myself an ultra marathoner, but that's, that's not really fair because I didn't know what I was doing at the time. Well, we but <laughs> but yeah, you you run as as I have learned as well. If you you know you, you when you when you do it, whether it was maybe intentional or whether you got talked into it or whatever it is, you you do it, you did it. So yeah, you definitely uh, can can wear the label of ultra marathoner, uh, even if you don't want to advertise it. You you uh, have earned the title for sure. Well, we um, I guess one of the scout troops we would kind of compete with. I was they had a they had a. Uh, kind of a backpacking outdoor store in Lafayette. So they, they had the money. And so we were always jealous of them. But I was in their store one day and I saw some of the adults had done this through hike. Uh, the longest trail in Louisiana is the Azalea Trail. And it's, I think, 31 and a half miles. And so I was like, wow, they could go that far in one day. We, we should do that. And so a few of us went and um, we, we mostly hiked. We did some running, but I think we finished in seven hours and 50 minutes around mile 20. My left knee felt like it was blowing up. <laughs> mile 25, my right Achilles was blowing up. That was my first trip to a sports medicine doc and got a shot in the knee, which felt great. And he told me I needed to tape my ankle and uh, my ankle hurt like heck for a couple weeks until I actually stopped taping it and then it felt fine. Uh, um, we went back a few years later and took about an hour off of uh, our PR for that trail. So we finished in about six hours and 50 and 
flash forward about 15 years later, I was working my first uh, 50K, you know, volunteering at the medical tent. And um, again, Cajuns being bad at the metric system, I'm like, 50K, how far is that? You know, like, well, it's, you know, 31 miles. It's <laughs> right. like a 5K, but with extra zero. It's like, oh, okay. Um, it's like, oh, I've actually done that once upon a time. But um, I was in a little better shape then. So I think I think I would actually prefer, if I'm going to get back into racing, I think trail racing probably appeals to me just a little bit more. But mm-hmm. first thing I need to do is just get back to training consistently and um, I think like probably you and a lot of your your listeners um, you know through backpacking and some of these things I I developed IT band but the first two or three docs I saw never actually said the words IT band Mm -hmm. kind of left me without much of a diagnosis and without much of a treatment plan and um, for reasons I still have no idea when I was in in college actually developed uh, sciatica uh, Mm -hmm. terrible back pain bad sciatica I still don't know what I did to deserve that Um, but that that really set me back so by the time I was getting into med school I was uh, I was getting pretty overweight my uh, my weight had really shot up and I wasn't exercising and uh, so first thing I had to do was kind of get my weight under control Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I kind of found PM&R and and really, in my residency, uh, I got to work with some some really great doctors who had better diagnosis and and tremendous therapists who finally got me on the road to recovery. And uh, you know, I, th- I think there's a lot of people in my field who kind of have similar stories of, of dealing with injuries, and it, it leads us to just really being self-centered and, and <laughs> learning what we do just so we can treat ourselves. Mm-hmm. Was was um going to the route of medical school in, in, into medicine was that always a, a plan for you as 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 a you know as a kid growing up that is that what you wanted to do and and um and then kind of second part of the question when, whenever you decided to go into to medicine what what drew you to sports medicine and and the physical medicine rehabilitation route uh, that, that you obviously have, have gone down sure good question um i think i was a little all over the place in high school and and i almost settled on physical therapy hadn't even really worked with a physical therapist but just you know some of us just have things that appeal to us and I think we we don't even know why and I think that's actually part of why I, I like running just um just the science aspect of it but um you know as as been doing well academically you get kind of nudged and everyone starts saying ah you shouldn't be a therapist you, you should be an MD and it's like okay I'll, I'll be an MD and then just <laughs> kind of made up my mind and went down that route and I was de- definitely drawn to the sciences uh, in general and um, while I was in college started uh, dating the girl that had become my wife uh, Rochelle and, and she got into PT and started that the year before I started med school and when I started med school I was I was almost getting burnt out a little bit on on all the hardcore science at that point and we would get together and study and I just kept finding whatever she was studying on kind of human movement and, and kind of the more performance based and sports medicine type stuff was so much more interesting than the histology and pathology and cell biology I was looking at. I, I really thought I was probably going to be more primary care based, mm. um, but I was one of those guys that definitely changed my mind quickly in med school. <laughs> Uh, when you start your third and fourth year, you get to pick rotations. And my very first block, I had the choice of picking like a two-week rotation. And, and physical medicine and, and rehabilitation was one of the choices. And like many people, I had never heard of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, you pull up Wikipedia and it's like, huh, this kind of sounds like a little cross between medicine and therapy. It's it's really kind of the doctors who were supposed to be experts at different types of therapy. So that was my very first clinical rotation. And I loved it. And mm-hmm. And then I start off thinking, well, maybe I'll still love everything and I'll go into family after all. But as the rest of the year went on, was, all I kept thinking about is when can I get back to physical <laughs> medicine? The, those guys were fun. And some of it's um, just the intellectual side and some of what they'll tell you in medicine is, is you have to kind of find where your personality fits, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and when I hung out with the other PM&R guys, it's like, yeah, th- these guys, we were all kind of ex beat up athletes to one degree or another. And um, it you know, a little bit like ortho, but more laid back. Um, not, not quite as nerdy as the internal right. medicine guy. So <laughs> no offense to any doctors listening to this, but they, uh, they know what I'm saying. Um, and then you get to do rotations your fourth year. And really I kind of picked my rotations. You, you study around, but I was like, where, where would be a fun place to live for a month? And, um, Charlottesville, Virginia, it was in the mountains. It looked very scenic, looked like a fun town. So I went up there and Dr. Bob Wilder runs a sports medicine clinic up there. And, um, uh, the running medicine clinic, I should say. Uh, he's got a specialty in sports medicine and then kind of made a niche for himself with the runners. Mm-hmm. And uh, I rotated up there and then later I matched into residency and, and um, spent four years up there. And 
so that's part of it. And I always kind of think it's, it's funny with runners cause it's like, Oh, you're a running doc. You must be, must be a, a great runner yourself. It's like, well, do, you know, I, I really understand where they're coming from. But then part of my brain also thinks like, do you only want to see the cardiologist who's had heart attacks himself or, uh, you know, <laughs> the ortho who's broke every bone. But if you're going to be a running doc, you'd better be somewhat of a runner. So I keep trying. I'm just starting to build back up into it. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently moved and, and we had wonderful weather for moving. But the whole time I'm thinking, God, this is like one of the coldest Aprils we've had in a long time. And I wish I was out there running. So right. now it's hot again, but at least I'm back out and starting to build up. Well, yeah, and, and I, you know, if, if you're going to work with with runners, even if that's not 100% of the, the clientele that you might work with, um, it is nice to be able to speak the language a little bit and have a little bit of, a, of an understanding of, of what we're going through. So I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, that I would, would want my my doctor to be, a, you know, a, an elite marathoner, but, it, you know, it, it does, you know, it, it, if I had a choice, I think that having somebody who, you know, does an occasional 5k or maybe, maybe does it, you know, gets on the trails once in a while or whatever, whatever, you know, whatever floats that person's boat. But, you know, just to kind of understand a little bit more about the sport and the biomechanics of it, because, you know, as, as, as you know, and as a lot of folks know, I mean, it's easy to get so specialized into one area that, yeah, you know, some stuff, you know, like you could be so specialized in, in running injuries and you could still work with football players. But right. it, but it's it's just different, you know. It, when when, you, right. when it's when you're speaking that language, so um, I, I think it's I think it's it's you know, I think it is it's a it's a plus, not a requirement, and and it's exciting, you know. Hopefully for you to kind of get back into it a little bit more, but, you know, now that hopefully things are getting kind of getting settled and things like that. But um, when it comes to to working with runners, uh, and and you know what drew you to that kind of area specifically so you know we kind of got to you know kind of ex-athlete and and going down the road towards sports medicine and kind of feeling a a good vibe there but but why kind of even even pigeonhole yourself a little bit more into the running community uh for sure man um you know i think there's a few parts of that part of it i I would go back it's kind of the same as like someone someone goes through med school and they're like wow i'm just really drawn to endocrinology you know um it's it's like, why do, do, do you have diabetes? Yeah. I mean, you know, for, for whatever reason, some of us just kind of have this intellectual curiosity in, in one field. And, and for me, I think to some degree, that's just kind of, you know, running, but, but really the biomechanics. And I think part of that is, uh, you don't see, there's just not as many older athletes doing all kinds of other sports. You know, the fields get very limited. I mean, probably just exercise in general, maybe, maybe the CrossFit crowd comes second, but, but most people who, you know, as they age, the one thing they kind of stick with is probably running. So it's, you know, it's bigger field, bigger market. Um, some of it was just that we were very specialized in our training at UVA. I mean, obviously as part of a, a residency, they have to teach you about all things, physical medicine and rehab. Um, but we had, we had the speed clinic with the, uh, gate lab. Um, and I got to hang out there for a month and, um, you know, the gate analysis just kind of uh, blew my mind. And working with Dr. Wilder and seeing runners all day, you know, the, the nice thing about runners and part, part of PM&R, usually when people have heard of PM&R doctors, they think of uh, pain management. Mm-hmm. And my, my first job, I got stuck doing some of that. And, and I always kind of joke, but there's there's a little bit of overlap in the sense that too much of pain management is people addicted to medicine. And, you know, <laughs> I could say it nicely, but runners are kind of addicted to exercise, right? And I mean, for a lot of them, it is stress relief. It's uh, anxiety relief. It's it's coping skills. And, and I, I totally get that. And it's obviously, I think it's a much, much healthier coping skill. And they're kind of willing to do what it takes to get back to it. So, um, you know, if, you, if you're dealing with patients who you're really trying to help, but they're not always motivated to do the work necessary, it gets a little frustrating. Um, and certainly that'll happen on occasion with a runner. But for the most part, they're extremely motivated and more likely to kind of put in effort and, um, you know, listen to most of what you say anyway, to, to try to get healthy and get back to running and stay injury free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you're telling them to not run for a little while or to slow way down and, and run easy and things like that. Then, then some people have a little bit uh, harder <laughs> right. time uh, following those directions. But so, so, you know, you, you get into, to working with runners a little bit. Um, and, and, and now, uh, from, from what I can gather and, 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 uh, 
doing a little bit of research and reading and things like that. I mean, you, you, you know, you've got uh, a course that, that you're uh, or a, a training group uh, with with running strong and, and kind of doing some of that preventative stuff. So, so like I said in the in the intro, um, you know, not only do you know what you're doing as far as trying to solve some of the problems that, that runners might have, but also trying to give some some uh, practical tools and, and tips and tricks and obviously you know working with with um, runners in in person to, to try to help uh, build strength build stability things like that to to improve their form stay healthy whatnot um, and we'd love to kind of go down down that route for a little bit and at least see where it takes us with with trying to share some some tips or things that that people can do to uh, try to be healthier because obviously everybody that's listening is is for the most part probably runners um, and and you know if you're a runner, the last thing you want to do is end up being injured and not being able to run. So um, we'll, we'll start broad and maybe kind of narrow in as we go. But, um, you know, for, from your experience and, and, and your expertise, um, wh- wh- what are a few things from, from – well, I'm just going to leave it very open. And, 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 again, we'll let you kind of take it where you want. But what are a few things that, that we as runners um, should, be, should be aware of or should be focusing on a bit more than maybe we do in terms of trying to stay healthy and, and, you know, being able to, to continue to run and continue to improve without having, you know, the high rate of injury that, that seems to plague our sport in general. Sure. Um, I'm going to back up a little and uh, I thought of something else with, with, with your last question, but it might tie in a little bit. So, um, around the same time that I was in my third year of, uh, rotations in, in my residency and, and starting to do more of the sports medicine stuff, finally, um, the book Born to Run made its rounds around clinic. It was actually not our, our sports doc who read it, but one of the other docs who, um, you know, did relate to stuff, but he wasn't quite the running doc, um, but he was more of a runner himself. And so, you know, I read the book and, and what I've kind of learned about myself is I, I think I'm really drawn to sort of controversial things or at least controversial in the sense of uh, I love it when science shows up and really kind of questions our, our preconceived notions, right? And so so Born to Run did that big time. Um and, and at the same time, I'm working with Dr. Wilder and, and, you know, it's a great guy. He wrote the textbook of running medicine. I've, I've learned from him. And, uh, every time I've asked him for help, he, he usually ends up being correct. But I found that it started to get a little boring in clinic and that, you know, Hey, let's back off. Let's rebuild this way. Follow these guidelines. Um, let's see down to, to get this orthotic and get the shoe. Mm-hmm. Oh, that orthotic's not helping. Let's get a slightly bigger orthotic. And even at that time, my brain was thinking, you know, we don't we don't do this with back pain. We, we don't do this with anything else. We don't put you in a brace. And then when that brace starts to fail, we put you in a bigger brace. It's like the foot has bones and ligaments and tendons and, and a whole lot of muscles. Well, why don't we spend more time kind of working that out? And then um, a big part of what we do is send people down to therapy. So maybe they had already tried therapy, but it's like, oh, I'm going to have you go see go see our guy, uh, Eric Magrum there at UVA. And Eric had this magical ability to fix people. And then if Eric couldn't fix them, then kind of the last step was let's send you to uh, Jade Dashari in, in the gate lab and do a full gate analysis. And so my brain's kind of thinking, why, why, why save that for last? If that's kind of like the biggest gun we have, why, not, why don't we start with that maybe? Um, and so whenever I had a chance, I would hang out with the therapist. I, I, you know, Eric was like my personal guy who kind of really helped me fix my back and fix my knee and um, hung out with Jay. And then you start kind of wrapping it all together. Okay, well, here's the biomechanics of it, and here's how we kind of work on that. And, you know, back back to kind of your question, you know, I've given presentations, and, and you know, kind of the typical medical presentation is here's IT band, here's the anatomy of the IT band, here's how we injured the IT band, here's how we fixed the IT band. And, and that gets, number one, kind of boring when you've heard <laughs> enough of those lectures. So uh, I don't like to bore myself or my audience. But number two, I, I just I really prefer to kind of take a, a bigger approach and say, well, what's you know what's the big culprits? What's what's the things we can modify that play into IT band? And you know, then you start looking at what's the bigger things that relate to injury. And and if we go after those, we really start cutting down. So I mean, as you're aware, I mean, depending on which research you look at, fifty to eighty percent of runners are injured any given year, right? So it's you know, barn to run says we're all barn and we're evolved to do this but if that's true why why the heck are so many of us injured what are we doing wrong and then you look at you know 30 years of shoe development and research hasn't done a darn thing to fix that and and i guess the uh barn to run true believers would say it's done a lot to maybe cause that Mm -hmm. um not quite prepared to say that you know but it just it gets my brain kind of excited like ooh, here's something that we don't have just completely figured out it's not just it's not just like a flow chart and, and everything will work out. So, you know, 
big causes of injuries, if we kind of have to put in two camps and, and I go back and forth debating which one's maybe the biggest cause, but one is overstriding. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where, you know, on, on the biomechanical side of things of what's actually happening, that that's where the whole shoe and, and born to run debate takes place. That's something called the loading rate has, has really been linked to injuries. And that's when the foot first hits the ground and the ground reactive force is kind of like, you know, we kind of look at it as the ground happening to your body versus your body happening to the ground. But, you know, it's kind of like the ground's trying to come up and squash you. Right. And, and you know, the total force there can be up to two and a half times body weight. And, and that's important, but that's at mid-stance. But when the fir- foot first hits, basically the farther in front the body that it lands, the faster forces get applied to you. And that's been linked through several studies for um, being linked with injuries, particularly kind of stress injuries, stress fractures, mm-hmm. Uh, shin splints like I had back doing cross country. Right. Um, you know, I had, I was, I was an early developer and had long legs. So I took a really big, long galloping stride. And if somebody probably would just told me, bump up your cadence a little mm-hmm. and stop trying to reach out so far, maybe I could have got rid of those shin splints. Certainly, certainly don't have them now that have kind of changed my form. Um, and so, so we'll look a lot at that. Uh, you know, do, do you reach out too far? I mean, in clinic, I can look at it on the treadmill and doing gait analysis in the, running strong class that, that we've developed. Um, we talk about these things, but, you know, I guess uh, gait analysis is more, I, I give the person specific to what they need. Um, and the class is kind of pretending like everyone needs everything. And so they kind of, it, it's a little bit of kind of didactic, you know, we'll do five to 10 minutes of teaching um, and then 40, 50 minutes of, of exercise. And, and that's kind of the you know, also like to think about these things as kind of recipes and ingredients, right? So mm-hmm. the recipe is land closer and extend the hip. But if somebody has a, a very tight hip flexor and a very weak butt muscle, they just can't do that. Right. So I, I could tell them all day, let's land closer and push off from your hip. But if they don't have the body ready for that, they won't be able to do it. And so you have to kind of, you have to kind of meet the person where they're at, I guess, and, and develop the system. And maybe that involves stretching out the hip flexor. Maybe they even need therapy and need some manual work done. A um, lot of lot of strengthening of the glutes, man. That's you know our hashtag glutes to the max. Um, it's it's a very important muscle, and and I think we're finding that with you you name the sport and a strong right. butt hel- helps you do it better. Um, so that's one part. Just kind of the overstriding is probably a really big issue, and then the other part of it is uh, I would just group it in with lateral stability, kind mm. of. The ability to control side to side forces so and and that tends to happen at us at, at that peak if you kind of draw this graph you know it's a it's a line that starts at zero then it kind of rises up like a mountain and it, it kind of peaks out near about two and a half times your body weight and then it starts kind of dropping off as your leg gets behind you but when you're when that leg is right under you are you kind of controlling your joint position well is is your gluteus medius and your obliques and kind of those side muscles mm-hmm keeping everything in alignment or is it letting your knee collapse in and, and causing some IT band issues like I've had and like right. many runners have, patellofemoral pain, kind of the same thing. Um, and so looking for those issues and, and then figuring out what is weak and what do we need to strengthen to work on it. All right. So that, that tees things up perfectly. I, I appreciate you doing that, even if you didn't, didn't mean to do it. So you kind of, you know, with those two kind of main things and, and, and you know, the, the, the same uh, disclaimer that, that goes out anytime we start talking about this stuff is this general, general topics, general, general right. advice here. Uh, you know, your specific needs may or may not relate to this. And, and, you know, it, it, just, you know, again, we're talking in generalities here, but um, so, so for the first one, talking about strengthening the glutes and how most, most everybody would benefit from from stronger glutes runners certainly um, but even just you know I, I think that I've, I've seen research and, and, and read articles about you know with with how much sitting we do it disengages the glutes and so you know like that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the main reasons that they're not as weak and then when we go to run you know we're, we're compensating with other muscles um, what what can we do to strengthen the glutes for the for those that are are you know finally hearing the message because it's not like it's the first time I've talked about this with with other folks but you know finally ready all right I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on the strength training uh, I, I listened to Dr Hill he says that, that the glutes need to be stronger um, Denny's been saying that the glutes are be something that should be, we should focus on for a while uh, I'm ready to to make it happen what are a couple of of exercises that somebody can do or resources or anything like that to say here are some ways to to start building your your glute strength sure. Um, and I know, I think you usually do show notes. So I have, mm-hmm. 
I could probably even send you some pictures or um, I, I did one or two articles and, and I know people don't always like to read a lot, but we took a lot of pictures to kind of um, show them some of these exercises. So unfortunately, I'm the, the model in them, <laughs> but uh, I, I can get that teed up for you and then yeah, that might help. Cause I, I know some of this is hard to describe and harder to visualize. Um, what I like, you know, so, so I give people progressions and basically, you know, if you come for gait analysis, especially if someone comes from far away, I, I might teach them 16 exercises, but it's kind of four progressions, four exercises in each. And I kind of start with easy, but then I want to finish with something kind of hard. So, you know, we find what's kind of the hardest thing that they can do well and, and start there. Cause you know, this your big thing I learned at UVA. It's not, I see a lot of people who maybe they're doing an exercise, but a lot of this, it's, it's more perfect practice makes perfect. And mm -hmm. if you're kind of doing it and, and not doing it quite well, you're not going to get nearly the benefit you should. Right. Um, well, I mean, one thing we start with is just, you know, posture and teaching people kind of how to stand right. And then you get so many people who are kind of slumped back and their, their back is kind of overarched and their shoulders are kind of rolled forward. And if you're in that posture, you're almost already just turning off your glutes. So it's going to be very hard to activate them. Uh, what you said about sitting is, is totally right. So it's, you know, it's tough to sit on your butt 14 hours a day and then get up and run well for mm -hmm. one hour a day. It's so I try to, you know, tell people at the desk job, set the alarm, get up and move around, maybe, maybe just one or two minutes, even if it's just walking around or use that time to do some mobilizations or not, not certainly no intense exercise, but just kind of loosen the body up so mm -hmm. we don't get tight from being stuck in one position. Uh, exercise wise, one of my favorites to start with is a simple bridge exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, you're laying on your back, knees, knees bent up. Um, but, you know, where we get kind of OCD on it is uh, I'll use that and I'll start with core bracing. So we're all about the core and we've all heard core, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I heard I need I need to do core to help my back. So what did I do? A bunch of sit ups because that's what we did in high school. Right. <laughs> and, and now we know it's like probably probably a dumb thing to do for your back. Mm -hmm. And instead, it's, it's the deeper muscles that just kind of pull everything tight. The transversus abdominis kind of wraps around us. And if we can squeeze that muscle a little, it, it makes our spine much more stable. And, and core stability is really all about kind of not letting the spine wiggle around as we do these exercises and we learn to move the hip without letting the spine move. So that actually helps us fire the glute. So that's important. So I'll get them in, in a bridge position. We'll, we'll practice core bracing until they can do it well. And then I'll have them squeeze their butt before they ever start to move, you know, really mm. clench the cheeks, get those glutes engaged. Um, put the feet probably closer to your butt than most people do. You want to be able to kind of reach down with your hand and touch the back of your shoe pretty easy. The further out your feet go, the more hamstring you're going right. to use. And the closer your feet are, the more glute you're going to use. So we got our core brace. We got our butt squeeze. Now we just lift our hips up in the air. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to go uh, hopefully until our, our thigh is in line with our body as long as we have loose enough hip flexors and we're not arching our back to do that. And, you know, depending on the person, they might be bridging for a few weeks until they get the hang of it. Some people is just to kind of just to practice all these things because it's a lot to think about. Mm -hmm. You know, co common complaint I hear you give me so much to think about. But <laughs> but if you don't think about it, you're not you're not going to get better at it. Right. And, and just a little bit of practice, it becomes muscle memory pretty quick. And then you start firing that core without thinking about it. And you start squeezing those glutes without thinking so hard about it. And eventually it shows up in the running. And then from there, we might take it to like a, a bridge march. So you kind of hold mm -hmm. the, the up position and you pick one knee up just a little bit, set it back down, pick the other one up, set it back down. And, and really looking at the uh, pelvis, I don't want to see it kind of tilting or rolling right. side to side. Um, you know, then a big jump up would be like a single leg bridge. Mm -hmm. So starting in the same position, but you got one leg out straight and then you're lifting a lot more weight. And again, when you get to that up position, you want the pelvis to be nice and level. Um, these are good to kind of work on like extending the hip without extending at the low back, mm -hmm. you know, using the glute to kind of drive the leg behind you, but they're not usually a tremendous workout. You know, right. it'd be tough to do tons of bridging and get that sore. So I usually also start people off with uh, squats, mm -hmm. uh, something that, uh, Jay taught me the, the lovely title chair of death squat. <laughs> um, that, just, just, that just sounds so much fun. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's using something to give you some biofeedback when, when you don't have a, a therapist looking at you. Basically, you get in front of a, a bench or a chair and you put just kind of the tips of your toes. If you look down, you can't see your toes, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to try to squat down as low as I can, but not let my knees hit the chair. Mm -hmm. And so if I hit the chair, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. Um, and, and so basically, it's just a squat pattern where you're using more glutes and less quads. You know, if I get a lot of runners in the clinic and I just say, do a squat for me. Their body stays like perfectly upright. Their knees, knees shoot forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, that's using just a ton of uh, 
quad and not as much glute. So if we get them to shift their weight back a little, we get a little more glute and a little less quad. And then maybe some lunges and single leg deadlifts. And then, you know, eventually we, we get them into weightlifting if they're in class or if they're kind of a higher, higher level runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, the, the, the thing that, that I take away from all of that is just, you know, it's, it's okay to start small. Like, like, you oh, know, yeah. if, if your glutes are really that disengaged, like, which, you know, a lot of us that that's a problem. So, you know, don't, don't feel bad. It's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not that you've, you know, there's nothing to feel bad about. It's just that that's an area that maybe would help you improve it, help you improve your, your performance, your injury resistance, uh, you know, whatever goals you're working towards. So, you know, start small, start with the bridge. It may seem like it's not doing much, but if that, if, if that's starting to get those, those muscles to fire, it's just going to make everything else start to progress more as, as you're consistent with it. Exactly. And we, you know, I've got these little philosophical sayings. I mean, things I heard a million times while I was in residency and one is, uh, you need proximal stability before distal mobility, which, mm. you know, sounds fancy, but it's just, it, it all starts at the core. And if we can't yep. brace that core, we don't want to do anything else till we can. Um, and then we want to kind of do motions that we can control. And then gradually you do a bigger motion and gradually you make it more intense. So, you know, single leg bridge is way harder than, than a, a double leg. And, and that starts using other muscles too for that, you know, now we're, now we're getting into some lateral control and some rotational control. And, um, you know, I should back up. Um, <laughs> a lot of my patients tell me, you're the only doctor I've heard talk about research so much. But there's, <laughs> I think so many people still just don't know. There's just so much research. And, and I feel like it's just, it's a growing body every day that, that strength training is one of the best things runners can do for both mm-hmm. helping prevent injuries and improving performance. And and we've, you know, I've had those higher level runners who have kind of peaked out and, and they've, they've got the running part down pat. And then you just throw a little bit of strength on top of them and, and they they break through that plateau, you know, and they start, start getting new PRs, um, or if nothing else that they're always injured and you, you get a little strength and stability. Now they can actually train better and, and not miss time. You know, they're not losing months of a year mm-hmm. because of injury and they can be consistent, which is also, you know, super beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. That, that consistency is a good recipe towards getting, getting a breakthrough as well. If, if you can avoid injuries and, and keep training, that's, that's going to be a good recipe. And so, um, again, teeing me up. I, I, I love it because you went right back to that stability piece, which was the second thing we talked about uh, several minutes ago. Um, what are, what are some things, is it, is it, so, so the first thing that comes to mind, you talk about, you know, improving yeah. stability is like standing on one foot. I mean, is, is it that yeah. simple or are there other things that we can <laughs> slash should do to try to work on, on stability, core stability, joint stability, those types of things? Oh yeah. There's a, I mean, this can go as deep down the rabbit hole as you want, right? I mean, there, there's like, there's no end to this. And every time I, I think I, I know it all, I see something new and, and, and I'll throw it at my class or throw it at my patients. Um, you know, but again, start small and build up, right? So uh, I do have people do that. Like, hey, your, your balance, your balance is, is wacky. We see that with a lot of runners. You, I'll just ask them to stand on one leg in clinic and they can barely do it. And if they can do it, then I say, great, now do it with your eyes closed. Mm-hmm. And then they're falling down within seconds usually. Um, you know, I learned from, from Jay for his guys. I mean, his goal is 30 seconds, eyes closed. And really 30 seconds, eyes closed while kind of rotating slightly. I can probably give you about 10 seconds, eyes closed with rotation right now, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and that's still ahead of a lot of folks. So just standing on one leg and working on balance, eyes wide open at first. Um, but we're, we're very, you know, we're very visually dominant to kind of keep ourselves upright. So everybody's kind of locking in on, on a horizontal line or the horizon and, and you close your eyes, you take that away. Now you're left with, uh, you know, this fancy word of proprioception, mm-hmm. um, your, your brain's awareness of where your body is in space. And so taking away that visual input, you're forced to use more proprioception. The month that I, uh, I shadowed Jay, you know, everybody was there to see him. I sure wasn't the expert in anything at the time. And so I just kind of stood in the corner, you know, two, three times a day telling people stand on one leg. So I stood in the corner. I stood <laughs> on one leg a lot. And it's probably not a very valid score, but um, we just got a Wii and a, a Wii Fit balance mm-hmm. board, right? I can tell you, dude, my, my Wii scores went through the roof after that month. <laughs> <laughs> and I really hadn't even, I didn't play it more. I just standing on one leg. It's mm-hmm. amazing just the foot and ankle control you develop. Um, you know, I talked about kind of gluteus medius um, is, is an important muscle for stabilizing the hip and controlling the knee and the pelvis. But we also do a lot of foot stuff. And I'm, mm-hmm. I go back and forth, you know, between how much I'm doing. But it kind of depends on the person. So if, they, if their problem is from the knee down, we're almost always going to um, throw some foot and ankle strengthening at them. If it's higher up, maybe the hip is more important. If it's at the knee, it's kind of it can be anybody's guess. Both, and you, right. Yeah. You just have to kind of look at the person. 
And, and this is where, you know, the barn to run debate comes back that, um, why fix it with an orthotic or a fancier shoe when we got a whole lot of muscles and receptors and everything else. And so let's tune that up. We, you know, I talk a lot about uh, toe yoga. So anyone who's mm. seen me kind of jokes about toe yoga. And um, that's just, that was a playful name Jay, Jay gave it. Uh, if you read or if you look at any Irene Davis, she calls it more uh, foot doming. Uh, some people call it the short foot exercise. But basically, you know, put, put, your, put your foot flat on the floor and it really helps if you take your uh, socks and shoes off. And then you're going to try to let all the little toes relax and you're going to pick your big toe straight up in the air. Then you're going to let your big toe relax, let it stay on the ground, and then pick the little toes up. And and there's kind of only two types of people, those that can kind of do that instantly and those that have no idea how to, <laughs> how to wiggle their toes. But I'll tell you, the vast majority, um, within a few days of, of practicing a few times a day, they, they will get that coordination back. You know, and it's obviously feet and hands are different, <laughs> but mm-hmm. they're actually pretty much the same. And you know, there's some there's some freaks of nature out there who can do things with their toes like other people can do with their hands. And it's just that we all grew up needing to put our feet in these little foot coffins called shoes, right? And then we just ignore them. And so just getting that those feet active again and getting the brain to kind of engage with the feet seems to fix a lot of problems. And so that first part is kind of coordination and, and mobility of the toes. And then really the main exercise is holding the little toes up because that helps prevent the big toe from kind of a uh, curling. Mm-hmm. So, so kind of bending at, at that last joint instead of kind of want to bend at the metatarsal joint or, um, you know, in the forefoot joint. So, so classic therapy for plantar fascia is like curling a towel, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to pick up marbles with your toes or curl that towel, you're, you're using muscles that are up in the leg and you're not actually using that much foot, uh, foot intrinsic muscles or muscles that are in the foot by holding up the little toes. Most people can't curl the big toe, but they could push it straight down. And when you do that, you're using a muscle called flexor hallucis brevis. And it's one of the main supporters of the arch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somebody comes in, they're like, Oh, I got flat feet or a fallen arch, or even if they have a high arch, um, working that muscle is one of the main things I want to do. You know, maybe, maybe depending on their injury, I'll suggest an orthotic short term, but long term, I want to give them a stronger foot. And so pick up those little toes, push that big toe down, hold it for a few seconds, relax, do it again, do it as many times a day as you can. When your foot gets sore, take a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but then later on, when, when that becomes relatively easy, that becomes part of the balance. Right. And so when I, when I stand up and I'm on one leg, I want to kind of brace my foot by just slightly pushing that big toe into the ground, keeping, keeping that first metatarsal head firmly on the ground. And the foot is way more stable now and your, and your whole body is more stable and your, your balance picks up kind of right away. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's, as you're talking kind of probably the same, like you were doing when, when you were with Jay and every time he would say, you know, stand on one foot, you're standing on one foot. I'm doing the same thing. So I'm, yeah, I'm doing the, yeah. the balance How, right now. I'm doing my toe yoga right now. And it's, it's, it's amazing how, you know, just, just, you know, a, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, something like that. Like I, I you know, and I, I like to think that I've got pretty decently strong and flexible feet because living in Florida, like I, I, you know, wear flip flops slash and barefoot every day, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so it's not like my feet are always trapped in shoes except for when I'm running. But even, even after just a, a couple of, of sets, I'm already feeling a little bit of something going on in, in my arch. So, so a clearly fatigue, a little crampy feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So clearly that, that muscle is, is working a little bit and maybe has been underworked in the past. So, you know, the, the, the trick then to me is, is, you know, how do we remember to do this? So, you know, can, can I'm going to assume, and obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, this is one of those things that you can easily tie to another habit, like brushing your teeth or something like that. So that, that when you're, you know, when you're brushing your teeth, you do a few sets on each foot. And, you know, by the time you're done brushing your teeth, you do that every day. Like it's going to make a difference. Definitely. And that's, you know, that, that's obviously, that's one thing I, I tell patients. Okay. So I want you standing and, you know, the thing about balance work is if, if you try to, I'm going to do 10 minutes of balance work, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to get fatigued. Your brain's going to give up. You know, I, I believe there's actually research showing that it works best in kind of small doses. So I want it spread throughout the day. And I definitely tell people that, look, I'm going to brush my top teeth on my right leg, bottom teeth on my left leg sort of thing. Um, so hopefully that's at least twice a day that they're doing some balance work. Anytime they're standing around, you know, washing the dishes is a great time to get in a little single leg work. And then if you want to get really fancy, you can combine it with a little like single leg squat, right, right. <laughs> trying to reach over and put the dishes down. Um, and then other times it's like, OK, I just need to hurry up and get this done. So I'm not I'm not going to mm-hmm. 
tie in my balance work. But yeah, the, the more small things like that throughout the day or even doing like a hip hike or a side leg lift, you know, you're standing on one leg and just raising your other leg out to the side, kind of tying in balance and toe yoga and hip strength all at the same time. And, and those little things definitely add up. I mean, if you probably only do it that way, it might not be enough, but it's certainly better than, than never doing it that way. Exactly. And it's, that can be the, the start of then now it becomes something that you think about a bit more because you've tied it into this other habit. And now, you know, you do make a little point to do it here and there when you're, when you're on the phone or when you're, when you're whatever, when you've got a chance to stand up. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, it, I just, I just say that because I think a lot of times people hear all this stuff and it's like, oh my gosh, like one more thing I need to do is spend, yeah, like you said, yeah. 10 minutes a day doing balance work. And that's not the case. It's, it's break it up a little bit here, a little bit there, just make it you know, you got to be intentional about starting it to become a habit. And then all of a sudden you, you link it to something else and it, it happens and, and it makes a difference. Well, and that's, you know, going back to, um, our class, I guess I was here about a year before I started that again, part of it's based on, a my, my buddy was doing a J J left UVA and he went over to uh, Oregon and, um, working with a bunch of athletes out there, but you know, he's with a PT group. I work with a PT group. So, it just made sense to go ahead and start a class because you'll, you'll see folks and it's a common complaint and you know somebody will come in for gait analysis I spend hours with them I give them all this homework <sighs> man if I had to venture a guess I'd say half the people follow it to a T and half the people kind of forget about it after a few weeks mm-hmm. um, it's hard to kind of do some of those things on your own so hey let's let's start a class and at least one hour a week you're you're accountable and, um, and then I can make sure everyone's kind of progressing and, and doing all these things. And, and I guess for about a year, we, we, it started off as kind of a 16 week program. Eventually we shortened it to when it was 16 weeks, it was kind of two separate, but related eight week blocks, mm-hmm. one, one tied into the next one. Um, and then we shortened that to kind of a single 12 week course, but it had more and more folks and, you know, high, high aspirations at first. Hey, I'm giving you all these handouts. You got it all on paper. We're going to practice it. I know, I know you know how to do it now. Now for the rest of your life, just do some of this. Right. <laughs> and of course, you know, then you start getting the feedback, man, it was great. And I felt wonderful when I was in class, but it, it's just hard for me to do that. And I don't have a gym and, and really, why, why don't we start a continuation class? So I guess about year, year and a half ago, we started that, that, um, folks who have kind of gone through our, our first phase can then enter the advanced class and, and the advanced class has been a blast, man, because it's just, it's kind of a playground. That's for me, that's the, um, you know, I kind of have a overarching thing in mind. We always need to work on this. We always need to work on that. We're going to kind of, uh, periodize things. Maybe one month we're a little heavier on core. One month we're heavier on glutes, but we're always trying to do some of it. And it's also kind of like, Ooh, look, a shiny new exercise on Facebook. Let's, let's, uh, let's throw that at the guys this week. Or, um, you know, I'll plug my buddy's, uh, book. Um, you know, Jay's written two books. And if you really want to dive deep on this, if you want to get really deep, I'd say start with, uh, anatomy for runners. I don't, I don't know if you've read that one, but great book, big time, big time playbook. It covers a lot of the stuff I learned with him. Um, and then recently came out with running rewired, I think in December last year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I think for the masses probably just stick with running rewired. It's, it's a little, probably a little quicker and easier to get through and, and a lot a lot more just kind of meat and potatoes mm. um, without all the background that can kind of lose some folks. Um, but this week, our plan was just to basically follow one of the workouts in that book. And um, I, I did it myself on Tuesday, and I'm still not quite walking right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good workout. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been – so I, I typically I'll work out with a class. You know, if we have newer folks, I can't really work out because I'm watching their form. But, you know, runners are, are typically scared to death of uh, weightlifting. So, mm-hmm. so this is – it's very much a weightlifting class for people who don't weightlift. Um, you know, we really haven't had any significant injuries. I haven't had anyone turn into a beefcake muscle head. I mean, uh, you'll, you'll still hear that too. I'm scared to bulk up mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's almost laughable, but you can't just dismiss them. You got to right. kind of, okay, let, let's talk about if you want to bulk up. The first thing I'd recommend you do is stop running, <laughs> um, <laughs> right. start eating as much as possible, work out really heavy for high volume multiple times a week. But, you know, the fact of it is your body kind of has to pick one and, and bodybuilders tell you this, that doing cardio is like one of the worst things you could do if you're trying right. to maintain a whole lot of mass. So if you're running 30, I mean, not probably say even 20 miles a week, it's going to be very hard for someone to put on much muscle mass. If you're a female, it gets harder. If mm-hmm. you're older, it gets harder. Um, but you can put on a heck of a lot of strength. And, and right. one of my favorite examples, we had a girl, um, who was a triathlete 
and training for her uh, first full Ironman. And she went through our, our intro class and she was kind of timid. She had a lot of postural issues that, that we probably worked on for six months before she kind of self-correct without needing feedback. And now, now she nails it down. You watch her walk up to the bar and, and she'll set her spine and, and lift just fine. But, you know, she came out of our intro class, uh, doing a Romanian deadlift with about 25 pounds. Mm. And, uh, you know, I don't want to give weights away. I don't know. She might weigh 120, 130. I don't know. Um, over the course of training for the Ironman, she stuck with our strength class and the week of Ironman, I mean, it was five or six days before the race, I had her lifting. We, we adjusted her volume really low, mm-hmm. but I told her I still wanted to go intense. So I think she warmed up and just did two sets of two reps and she did an RDL with 125 pounds. Wow. And, and I'm telling you, she had, she had another 20 pounds in the tank, but we, we cut her off mm-hmm. there. Um, and I think some of it was psychological with her. She was pumped. It was a week of a race, but I mean, but to be able to tell her, Hey, you've added a hundred pounds to your deadlift mm-hmm. over the course of a year. And Oh, by the way, she lost five pounds. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't, she training. didn't bulk up. She was, yes, no, exactly. no, she did not bulk up at all, but she got five times stronger and, and her race was in Chattanooga. So again, you're coming from training in Louisiana to running in, in the hills in Chattanooga and she the hills were not a factor for her right um, she she did great you know so and, and that was actually the first full marathon she ever ran wow. um, one of my favorite stories she told from the race I think um, her GPS went off at like mile 20 and she kind of she, she's a um, what's the word I'm looking for very outgoing girl but she she let out a little you know cheer for herself and she says she kind of scared the guys next to her that she was like busy passing at the time. And they're like, you know, what the hell are you cheering about? She's like, I've never ran this far before. <laughs> and then she proceeded to run by him. And that just had to be, you know, <laughs> that just had to destroy their souls at that moment. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> but but it, it, a good a good reminder that that or a good a good example, a good a good case study, a good a good, you know, piece of proof that like, you know, these these longer races like having that extra strength like you know five times stronger not not bigger but stronger right. and able to go hard whether it's hills whether it's pushing the last 10k of the marathon when you're trying to to boston qualify whether it's running your first marathon at the end of a triathlon which is just crazy to me to even think about that um <laughs> right. but but that strength training is is so valuable um so, so a good, a good thing to kind of keep in mind as, as we go forward. And I, I have recently picked up the running Re- rewired book, but I haven't started to, I just thumbed through it. I haven't started to dive into it yet. And I'm looking forward oh, to you, it. You'll enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, uh, as, as we're getting to, to the, to the end here, Casey, I'm, I'm going to go off script a little bit, but we're still going to ask the, the philosophical question that, that I tend to end with. Um, but, uh, I noticed in, on your, uh, your Facebook feed, um, just a couple days ago as we're recording this, but it'll be back in, in May when people are finally listening to this. Uh, but you had a post that uh, I'm just going to read the post, then I'm going to kind of give you a, a little <laughs> bit of a question, and it's not it's not a controversial. I, actually, I love uh-huh. the, I love the post, um, and it was it was attached to an article. We'll we'll link that up in the show notes as well. But um, so the post is part of why I love sports and running medicine is because it is a field that is still in its infancy and is is and is constantly changing. Here is just a partial list of things that were tr- quote unquote true during med school that aren't true any longer. And you get a list of four things: one, running is bad for your joints; two, stretching helps prevent injuries; three, you need supportive shoes; and four is, is the new one that running is is hard or it weakens the the, the immune system. So, um, you know, again, you know, things are always changing. There's new research. There's new studies. There's there's you know, people are, are trying different things outside of the box and finding that hey, maybe this this type of training or this type of diet or whatever, like it actually does work. And say we don't need to be whatever. Uh, XYZ. So my, my philosophical question to, to kind of wrap up, and this, this might be a dif- difficult one. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to throw you a gotcha, but it's, it's just something that's, that's on my mind based on, on this post. How are we supposed to know what to do? I mean, is, is it, is it be, because like you said, I mean, you know, not too long ago, all of these things were considered true. They were, they were common knowledge and now they're, they're all d- have, have been dispelled. And, and sometimes that knowledge is still out there, but we're, you know, it, more and more people yeah. are starting to realize that these things aren't true anymore. So the things that we that we you know say as true right now, how, is there a way to know that what we're doing, or is it just a matter of trying to do what's what's best in the moment and stay current with the research? And as as research changes, we need to change. So I don't know that I have a great question in there, but just kind of no, how, I, how I do we know saying. how that how, you know what to believe when when we're reading a book or we're reading a, an article or you're hearing an expert on a podcast or whatever the case might be? How do we know what to believe and actually? go with as far as you know this is probably the right thing to to uh, actually you know hitch our wagon to and, and ride out into the sunset with you know so so we call that uh what paralysis by analysis right mm-hmm. 
And um, I, I think you and I are probably similar because I've looked at a lot of your stuff and I think we've, we've read a lot of the same things, things we haven't even touched on, you know, uh, mafetone and low heart rate training and, and all those things, right? And it's, uh, man, when I start med school, I, I want to say day one of med school, they come out and they're like, hey, everybody, welcome to med school. 50% of everything we teach you in the next four years will be proven wrong in your lifetime. <laughs> And, uh, some days I feel like we're already at that number. <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's so much of it. Oh, cholesterol. Forget about that. Uh, um, low fat. Well, you could probably forget about that too. Shoes, orthotics. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's tough, man. And, um, probably the best piece of advice I ever got was, uh, one of my mentors, I, I, I kind of told him, Hey, look, I'm, I'm feeling pretty caught up on biomechanics, but I want to learn more, more about training. Who, who should I read? And his answer kind of stung for half a second because he's like, you should already know the answer to this. I'm like, well, I don't. That's why I'm asking you, right? <laughs> and uh, But his answer was, you should read everyone and make up your own mind. Of course, that takes a ton of time, right? So if, you, if you're not the sort of person to do it yourself, try to, you know, uh, I feel too cocky saying follow someone like me. I mean, there's so many good people to follow. Follow Jay. Follow Irene Davis. Follow follow the guys who are out there doing research in, in uh, academics. Um, read books. Read articles. Um, follow, follow guys like you, listen to podcasts, um, and see what makes sense to you. You know, if something comes out and it's just totally different, maybe, maybe give it some time. I mean, you know, something else I kind of learned through med school and residency, you don't always want to be the first person to try a new procedure <laughs> or, or a new drug. Let, let it be on the market five to 10 years. Cause that's usually when, when the problems will start showing up. Um, you know, a lot of what I do, it's kind of, Oh, so we did a strengthening exercise. Turns out it didn't make you faster, but Hey, something still got stronger. So, so what, what's the worst that can happen as long as you do it safe and smart and ease into it? Um, but you know, I, I don't have a good answer for you either. Just that I, I, I study and I learn and I go to conferences and most of my Facebook feed is, is probably, I guess, 50% friends and 50%, um, following other folks who do this kind of stuff and following folks who post good research. And, um, I, I really try to look at, at things that are maybe a little more research-based and a little less opinion-based. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably what's still a really big black box, at least as far as I know, is kind of training and training theory, especially as it relates to injury. Mm-hmm. So, But you also can't dismiss someone like uh, Maffetone and, and his heart rate training method with the results he's had, right? right. So he's had tremendous results with some athletes. And um, I'm, I keep starting and stopping, and, and one day I want to get through Steve Magnus's book, uh, Science of Running, right? Great book. Early on in it, you know, he's kind of having this debate, too, that we have, uh, we have scientists on one side and we have coaches on the other side, and a lot of times they're almost like diametrically opposed to each other, and, and they kind of want to ignore each other, but really they should listen and, and you know, let, let's all get along and hold hands and uh, share knowledge. Um, I'm trying to remember the other quote that's like, if we could get the uh, – the scientists out of the lab and the coach out of the classroom and, and such and such out of this. And we all meet at the track. Mm. We, we would really move this field forward a lot more. And, um, so I, I tend to kind of, and I think you're like me that we, we experiment with different things, right? Mm. So high intensity is the hot new rage. And I've looked at some of the research and it's pretty cool. And, and Hey, maybe we, maybe we don't know, maybe not everyone needs a long, slow distance, but I tend to favor, just from what I've seen, that high intensity comes with higher risk of injury, mm-hmm. especially if you try to do kind of high intensity and high volume. Well, right. One of those things needs to change. And for me personally, that's that tends to be when my injuries happen. But again, you have to also try to separate out your personal bias. But for me personally, kind of heart rate or at least easing into training. And, and I've had a lot of patients who, you know, they, they run with a running group, but they're always injured. But once you really, really get to know them and get them to feel comfortable with you and get them to admit to themselves, when they go out on that easy five mile group training run, they start racing their neighbor, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so every easy training run turns into a race. And so they're doing too much intensity all the time and getting them to actually slow down. I've had people, you know, get injury free for a few years and, and get new PRs. And, and then they'll tell you, like, this makes no sense. I'm, I'm, I'm training slower, but racing faster. And it's like, well, maybe there's some truth to it, but there's other guys I follow who are also great coaches and have great success and they take more of a high intensity approach. So, so who the hell knows? (laughs) Um, uh, but you know, I think part of it is just don't, don't be, don't be scared to experiment. Just, you know, experiment kind of slowly and carefully Mm -hmm. and, and, and be smart about it. Don't, don't go night and day and, and jump, jump from one to the other and, and maintain high volume, you know, kind of ease into it. 
and try that for a year. Try it for six months. Right. You know, so see see how you do with it. Try try lower carb. Try higher carb. Whatever. Don't don't be scared to kind of read some of the research out there, and, and give something you a try and see what works for you. And that's, I mean, that's again probably one of the best pieces of advice I had because you know the the more I study and learn, just it, it's the more options you have to give someone. Okay, you, you've already tried this; it didn't work for you. Um, how about we try this approach? You know, and here here's how you kind of ease into that and, and see what happens. Yeah. That's, so again, no no clear answer, but is you know it's not a clear question. It's not a clear answer, <laughs> and I mean it's 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 our our daily struggle, right? Because and and you hate it because it's yeah. I know I told you this two years ago, but I've uh, been proven wrong. So right. let's let's just switch. Let's evolve. That's that's what science is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I I totally agree, and and uh, I think it's one of those things that uh, you know again you, you can only do it with, with with the best with the information you have where sometimes especially in politics it's like oh so and so believed this a decade ago but they've changed right. their mind well right. well shoot if, if the science has changed if the if the facts have changed like you'd be a fool to not change your mind so you know you do the best you can and if, as new things come along you know you, you again you you try you learn you experiment and and if something works better you keep moving so yeah it wasn't wasn't the greatest clearest question maybe not the greatest <laughs> clearest answer but I think it it gave it gave me a lot to think about and hopefully it gave some others a lot to think about too which is which is uh, kind of the, the the point here of this whole thing is, is get people thinking, uh, get people you know trying different things, and and, uh, and and I think that was a great way to wrap up. So uh, once again, guys, um, at Dr. Casey Hill on the Facebook again, that's Casey with a K, uh, and at the Sports Med Clinic on Instagram, and as per usual, disruns.com/slash five nine zero. We'll have everything linked up here. Um, books that we talked about, the the exercises, uh, all kinds of things. We'll have it linked up. Disruns.com/slash five nine zero. So. Uh, Casey, thank you uh, for taking the time today. Certainly, uh, I appreciate it. And, and uh, um, as I said earlier, and as I've said before, I could I could talk about running injuries and biomechanics and and the science of it and and scratch my athletic trainer itch all day. So thanks for humoring <laughs> me a little bit. Um, and hopefully, some folks learned a few things. But uh, certainly, appreciate your time and, and wish you nothing but the best going forward. And, and certainly, also hopefully, we'll stay in touch and maybe maybe you know circle the wagons and do this again at some point down the road. Yeah, Dane, that'd be great. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, there's uh, there's things we barely scratched the surface on, so I'd be happy to come back sometime if you'd like. All right, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed the, the conversation with Dr. Casey Hill and myself. And uh, as always, I'd be curious to know what stood out to you from this episode. What was something that we talked about that uh, that made you stop or take a little pause or scratch your head or nod in agreement or shake your head in disgust, whatever it was, what was something that stood out to you from this episode? Always love to hear that feedback. Always love to hear that uh, that w- what I'm talking about with my guests actually resonates and is exciting for you and, and hopefully that you're getting something out of the time that you spend listening to the show. Uh, for me, the the biggest takeaway, there were, there were several things and, and as you heard, I kept uh-huh and, and, and uh, voicing my agreement along the way. But the big thing was there right at the end when uh, when I asked you know Casey about uh, kind of how do we know what's true and, and that philosophical question there of, of if things are always changing and evolving how do we know what to believe in and, and how do we know what to do with our training to, to try to get the best out of ourselves and um, you know his answer I think was was perfect for the question and you know that that led to my takeaway of, of just keep learning. Keep learning, keep experimenting, keep trying new things, and, and don't be afraid to change your mind. Don't be afraid to, to you know, do an experiment, to, to run a test on yourself and try you know, heart rate training. Try the low-carb style of eating, you know, the two big, big tests that I'm on at this point, halfway through the year of, of going primal endurance. Um, you know, don't be afraid to try those things, and, and they may work. They may cause a problem. Uh, you know, they may make you take a step back. They may kind of be neutral, you know, but, but you don't know until you try. And so you try those things. You're, you're willing to experiment and then you're willing to change your mind. You know, what, what works today may or may not work tomorrow or next month or next year. Um, or there may be some new research that comes out and, and, you know, discredits what you had already believed in. So, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a blur or a, 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for here? A merging together of my takeaways where keep trying new things, but don't be afraid to change your mind. Don't be afraid to go off on, uh, to go the opposite direction of something that you've long held to be true. Um, just 
you know, because as situations change, that may be warranted. So that's my takeaway. That's, uh, again, maybe not uh, crystal clear. Maybe it's about as, as clear as the question I, I asked and, and the, the way that Casey answered. But uh, that, that was what stood out to me from this episode. That was that was going to be that that is going to be the enduring thing that sticks in my mind when I think about this episode is just, you know, the, the, the guy who's on top of all the research is, is continually learning more, continuing reading new books, continuing trying to broaden his perspective and try new things. Um, just to stay current because the, the research is always changing. So keep that in mind. Don't just get locked in your ways, or at least I'm not going to keep getting locked in my ways. I would encourage you to do the same thing as well. So that was my takeaway. What about you? Let me know. Shoot me a tweet at Dizruns. Shoot me an email, Dizruns at gmail.com. And as always, you can head over to show notes for this episode or any episode and leave your feedback there. Once again, Dizruns.com slash 590 is the link to the show notes for this episode. 590 episodes. Who would have thought four years ago yesterday... Did you know, were you, were you there on July 1st, 2014, when episode one of Diz Runs Radio hit the air, which was at, at that point was the Diz Runs With podcast, a little, little brand change since then. But uh, four years four years ago, we were at episode one, and flash forward today, episode 590. So thank you uh, for those that were here on day one and have been listening ever since. Appreciate you sticking around. And whenever you jumped on board the train, thanks for riding it with me. Uh, no plans on slowing down. No plans on stopping anytime soon. Uh, thanks for, for coming with me, for listening, for feedbacks, for thoughts, for, for trolling me on uh, in the Facebook group. Appreciate that as well. Uh, but just thank you for, for all that you do to help the show continue along. Uh, and I'm going to do my best to keep it coming as well. So that's where we'll put the bow on things today. Uh, but thank you for listening. Be ready on racedaycom if you want to check out the book. Don't forget about that. But uh, more importantly, thank you for, for letting me uh, take up a little space in your mind today, in, in your ears, in your earballs, as uh, my friend Michael O'Neill likes to say. Uh, but thanks for listening. Appreciate all you do. Uh, be well. Take care. And uh, we'll talk soon. See you guys.